Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I was an assistant director in Hollywood for the better part of eight years, and now I'm not. Today, we're talking about the television show 24, which ran for nine seasons between 2001 and 2014, airing a total of 204 episodes plus a television film with Kiefer Sutherland in the lead role as counter-terrorist agent Jack Bauer. At Rotten Tomatoes, the show's average tomato meter is 87%. And the critical consensus reads, in part, the series took a great concept and executed it superbly, juggling top storylines with forceful performances and a stylish, gritty look, unquote. Very positive reviews of this show, but as always here on Below the Line, we're not concerned about what the critics think. Myself, I only worked on 24 a couple of times as a day-playing assistant director, helping out with crowd control during large scenes, but I think my guests today have the show covered. First up, Nicole Burke. You started on 24 the first season as the key second AD and started firsting during the third season. Is that right? That's correct. Welcome to Wall of Line. Nicole, Thanks. in addition to 24, IMDb says you're known for Bubble Boy, Sports Night, and Ground Control. These are all pre-24 credits. What are you working on now? I'm working on a Fox show called 911 with Angela Bassett. Well, thanks for taking time out to join us today. Next, we're joined by Sterling Rush, who started as the onset dresser first season of 24, shifted over at some point to props, and also worked through the end of the show. Sterling, nice to have you. Thanks for having me. Now, Sterling, are you surprised to know that INDB doesn't list 24 as one of your known for credits? Not really, because I'm, I, haven't, I don't really don't go into IMDB that much, so I guess in some aspects you have to sort of prompt it and add stuff to it. I don't do that, so whatever... Whoever does the crediting and how that kind of works, um, I'll leave it at, at, with, to them. I do know that uh, at, on 24, there wasn't actually a credit for me, like in, I guess in the, in the whatever you call it, in the end, the end credits. So maybe that's how they, they gauge it. Um, I have no idea how that system works, but um, I don't really don't check it or update it. Yeah, I don't think anyone really knows how that system works. And I've said several times, one day we'll do a podcast about it. But what it did give you credit for was Vanilla Sky, Bloodfather, The Patriot, and Lethal Weapon, the TV series. Uh, yes, that's airing its third season. I think I used that when you're still working. Yes, sir. I, I'll be on that for the next uh, two days. And then I am blissfully retiring for, the, for, for a month. <laughs> Enjoy your time off, Sterling. Yes. Finally, we're joined today by Anthony Vietro, who was with the grips for all eight seasons of the original of the original run, except the pilot. Now, Anthony, I know there was a little nuance about you moving around within the grip department. Could you clarify that? Yeah, I started actually <clears throat> as the rigging key and did that for, I guess, for five seasons and then eventually moved over to production um, and ran the department for the remainder of the show. So, Anthony, besides 24, INDB says you're known for Detroit 187 and a couple of films you directed, The Perfect Leave and Collusions. Tell us a little about the directing career. Yeah, the directing career. Actually, Collusions um, should be released in the next couple months. Um, small independent projects uh, that really wouldn't get made if it weren't for a group of people who work in the business coming together to make them. You know, they don't really have the budgets to to otherwise, but when you get a bunch of sweat equity and a bunch of people who you've known, you're able to put these projects together. Um, you know, and the other nice thing is living in Hollywood and you're making independent films. You can cast people who are real actors who like your kids go to school with and various things like that. So you can, you can pull off some stuff that you wouldn't otherwise be able to do. So collusions is actually something I'm more excited about. Um, 
and, and hoping that, uh, you know, I mean, there's so much content being made and I'm sure the other two guests would agree that some of the people that who get hired to direct television, um, maybe shouldn't. <laughs> More often than not. I'll name no names. <laughs> Andy, so why not? Hey man, join the club, right? <laughs> Everyone thinks it's easy to direct. I'm, I'm dealing with it right now. In my show. <laughs> Anthony, I didn't realize though, when you agreed to do uh, below the line that you were going to be on a press tour, but uh, we'll keep an eye out for collusion. Hey man, give me the opportunity. Look, we're all, we're all, uh, we're all shamelessly self-promoters, right? That's how you make a career in Hollywood. It doesn't matter if you're above, below, Shake that butt, dude. Shake it. Yeah. Get it out there. <laughs> That's how it goes. All right. Well, let's uh, let's turn the conversation to 24. Uh, for any of our audience who's not familiar, 24 had a pretty unique concept. Each season ran for 24 episodes, with each episode representing one hour in a single day. There were multiple plot lines running through the season, but they would all be tracked in real time, finally converging, usually, I want to say, in a cataclysmic manner. Now, the show ran for eight seasons between 2001 and 2010. There was a TV movie that aired between season six and seven. The show came back in 2014 for a ninth season that only ran 12 episodes. I think they had like a 12-hour gap in the middle. Um, and they also birthed a spinoff series in 2017 called 24 Legacy that did not feature Jack Bauer and also ran only for 12 episodes. Now, did any of you work on the later incarnations of the show? Uh, no. Nope. Nope. One was in Europe, and the other one was in Atlanta, Georgia. Atlanta, yeah. Yeah. I, we got offered to do the pilot, but then we found out it was going to Atlanta. I politely declined. <laughs> yeah, I got called to do the series, and it was not worth. Um, 24 without Jack Bauer is not 24. Well, and Agreed. we'll talk some you – know, you guys, let's come back to that. Let's talk some more about the legacy of the show. Um, but uh, for now, though, let's, we'll be focusing on the initial run. Let's start by talking about the challenges that were unique to this kind of show. Now, I'll say up front, all television shows have to worry about continuity from episode to episode or you know, from scene to scene. But it seems like a show like this, my thoughts are that that would be at another level of difficulty. Yes. Yeah. yeah in a, in sure. a sense, for sure. Okay, who wants to go first on that? Anthony, you go. Well, I mean, I think one of the, the <laughs> things that right off the bat was different about 24, and even though, you know, it was it was far from a sure thing when we started. I think we were all wondering if we were going to have jobs after the new year of, of the first season. But, but right off the bat, the show, and actually this is really more Nicole's area, but the fact that we cross-boarded episodes, which was two episodes at once, and <clears throat> year in and year out, as we came back, we went to fewer and fewer and fewer directors which also helped the show, which made it much easier. So there's a couple yeah. of different aspects in that. One is the idea of directors and sort of vision for the show, needing to stay consistent. Nicole, did you want to say something more? <clears throat> um, I think in, in the very beginning, um, first season was definitely uh, very difficult because we didn't know what it was. And um, the cross-boarding, you know, normally in episodes, back then it was seven days, and we would do two at a time. So we went to 15 days for two. Originally, um, they wanted to take the show to Canada because it was, it was a lot cheaper then. And that's how we ended up with 15 days and not, you know, 16 or 17. Kiefer decided that he wanted to do it in Los Angeles. And since he had never done television before, they were willing to, to take the risk. I think the, the, the coincidences of the first season um, through season five of 24 were pretty bizarre because the first episode was about a plane blowing up um, and, and, and counterterrorism. And then 
we hit uh, we hit nine eleven, which no one had ever seen in and ever thought we would see in in the real world. And I, I remember being on set, and people were crying and freaking out because people had friends in New York. And I think at that point, um, I think we ended up finally shutting down. But yeah, um, day. I, it took us yeah, a half day. It was a half yeah, day. Yeah, I, I thought right then and there we were going to be out of a job. I thought canceled as well. Yeah. <clears throat> And oh, yeah, you started happened, making phone calls. <laughs> right. And so what <laughs> happened af after 9-11, uh, when we actually aired, they had taken out the uh, the actual shot of the plane uh, blowing up. Man, Mandy blowing the door. Up right. Yeah. Correct. And um, we went from like, and back then, $2.1 million in 2001 was a considerable amount of money. They dropped the budget to one eight. And um, we kind of sort of all felt like, you know, what is the show? I mean, I don't, I don't feel like the show ever took off until we got into probably season four. But we did such cool stuff that no other show was doing. It was like, and the studio was behind it. It, was, it was made it like, okay, we can do this. But I don't think for at least the first year we knew that we had any, any kind of success well, let's we all had growing pains, I believe, in the beginning because we're learning a, a new show, a new format. Stephen Hopkins came up with this concept of these boxes and all this kind of stuff. And we're like, keep everything dirty, make everything voyeuristic. And continuity, I was in charge of continuity as far as like the set stuff <laughs> as the onset dresser. That was a challenge because, you know, Guy Skinner would go, I'm going to take a creeper doll and run right through this whole set. So it'd move everything. You're like, damn, now I got to put it all back. So. I remember taking a, a digital camera and using my iPhoto to try and like mass produce all this stuff because back then it was all Polaroids on rings and you're trying to like use Polaroids to try to do continuity. You have a flashlight. You're like, what is that? Is that a box? What is it? And you're trying to find all this stuff. Um, I think that was part of our, our learning process and, and, and the story because it was 24 hours and because the story was moving so fast, I, I feel like they blew their wad for the first 12 hours. And the second half, they're like, okay, now repeat. Give her amnesia again. Get her kidnapped again. <laughs> I mean, we're like, so what's going on here? Oh, God. Kidnapped four times. Forget about her all the time. Remember? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Leslie yeah. Hope had amnesia for five hours just because he couldn't figure out what to do with her. <laughs> well, um, it was also, you know, another thing that, that happened, I think, right from the beginning um, was that it was clear that, that, that visually, the visual language of the show, I think, was, was something new. Um, we, we'd all come off shows tv was could get very stagnant masters over overs and and you know a, a lot of coverage and really making it, it making a show more editorially than in the production and it was clear from the beginning um of of our of our production that, that this was going to be different um for sure we were going to approach it differently and and i i would credit a, a ton of that obviously to steven um who even though we had probably more visiting directors that first season than any other season. Uh, he, he, he was, was in there and in the mix and, and, and writing the language as, as we lived it. Uh, and then it really became a thing. Um, you know, I think, I think it's still to this day uh, can be credited as one of those, one of those shows that, that like it, and even though ER was probably a little bit before it, but, but that the point of view of the camera um, Being a voyeur, it, 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 yeah, the, the the voyeuristic nature, of the uh, exactly of, of the camera was was different than than it really been previously, and and it really helped with the linear 
that that time, right? It 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 echoed um, the storyline and how how time was of the essence because it was always it energy, moving forward. Forward, yeah, and everybody. Yeah. Yeah. The other oh. thing also is that we had, if we go back to season one, if you took a crew list, which is un, unheard of these days, people don't even last two episodes anymore. We had like 75% of the crew from season one until we finished. Easily. And, and, there, yep. and now there is no loyalty in television, let alone anything else in, in the world. But I think that's what also made it so great is we all grew together as, as the crew and we all understood what everyone's jobs were and there was no, and we just had a great time. I and grew it, up it on made that show. It, so did I. <laughs> I <was a> <laughs> all three of us did. <laughs> I mean... Well, uh, I was 27 when we started that show. You guys, let's talk some more about that because and I know initially the first season was planned for only 13 episodes. Um, at some point that changed, well, maybe once the ratings started coming in. You guys mentioned earlier 9-11, folks starting to think maybe they weren't going to stay. How does a team really form the kind of connections you guys do when, particularly in the beginning, out the gate, a lot of your jobs seemed at risk? I think that um, back then TV... There was, I mean, right now there's like 400 television shows. So people are going from show to show. Back in uh, 2000, work was in Canada. Um, and most of the work was in Canada. And there it wasn't, wasn't being, yeah. yeah. And there wasn't anything here in LA. And I think people were, were uh, willing to stay and see what happened because there wasn't really that much, uh, there wasn't that much other work. And it there wasn't a risk out, to stay. Because right. it was a risk to leave. Right. Yeah. So I think that's, that was part of it. Also, um, I think the, the age group that most of us were, were like, um, at least the crew, late 20s, mid 30s. Or now, I don't know about you guys, but I still am, I'm almost in my 50s and I'm still one of the younger people. It's like Me the too. younger generation has dissolved and not, they, they go from show to show and there's no, there's no continuity or commitment with, with the younger generation. It's like they get bored, they move on. Yeah. They're also um, not coming up in the business as they used to. There's a lot of older people on set. There's no young bucks coming in in their 20s like I did. Right. Everybody wants to do either. They just, it, it's, Everybody it's wants to direct. Right. They don't want to they don't yeah. wanna do the work. Put the work in. Yeah. yeah. Learn, learn, a, learn a craft. You know. I mean, the other I mean, thing. I, I learned everything on 24. I mean, I yeah. Up. Just starting the show, I remember, I remember my first meeting with our first production manager, uh, a gentleman by the name of Robin Chamberlain, who, who was, like I said, a stellar human being. And there I was, like 27 years old. I, I had been working in television. I'd had an opportunity to, to be a key on a smaller show, but not, you know, not, not, tr not a tremendous career by any means at that point. And walking in and sitting down with him and having the first thing said to me was I didn't I'm not hiring you so that I can do your job I'm hiring you so that you can do your job which is a, a different approach um, okay. you know right right from the beginning it's like look uh, we're all gonna we're all gonna do this together and your opinion matters and I think more than anything when when anybody of any level in their career is told your opinion has a place here um, you know it, it's part of it's part of a chorus uh, but we're gonna listen to it and and we're gonna we're gonna take that as as being important. You, you just it changes everything. It crystallizes the moment where you're like, oh shit, this is different. I'm gonna work um, hard. I'm gonna and, do my and job. You do. And enjoy it. it. Enjoy it. It, it, yeah. it was it was a and, and Cyrus 
who was our, our producer at this, that point, echoed it. Um, and so when you start that way and you pretty much bring in people who, who are going to buy into that, it, it's a different show. And, and you go from having um, sort of a fear-based management style, which is what a lot of producers do. It's like this parental bullshit, like, you know, uh, we're going to micromanage you. We're going to tell you what you're doing wrong. It was, it was the antithesis of that. And, and, and it was at a point with, like you said, a bunch, a bunch of younger people who, who, who you know, we, we knew enough to know it was different. Um, and, you know, that, that this was going to be something that, that was worth being around for. And, and I, I credit, you know, I credit that with, with being a huge part of why people stayed because it was a different environment in that way. I mean, we actually, I mean, we came together pretty quickly as a, as a unit and sort of, figured out who does what and where and sort of let everybody do their thing. So there was never, there was never like a, a hierarchy. Like if I do this to get to move up, it was like, no, this is our job. Let's have fun. Let's do it. And we all did it with a smile. I mean, the hours were at some points, you know, half the seasons at night. So in <laughs> age, as, if as an AD, you got to figure out how to make where it's not all nighters. I mean, there's always what I call the hell week, which is like one week of just all nights to get the we stuff. Had them. For the most part, it was like splits and, being a, a young single guy, I didn't care. I was married to the to work. You know, I I, I enjoyed being there. Yeah, nobody. So. It's it's interesting when you look back and, and and think about it. No one really complained. I mean, it it everyone just did what they were they were hired to do. You know, it was. They don't make shows like that anymore, and they don't make crews like that anymore. No, I put our crew up against anybody right now and say we can make anything. Well, essentially, I mean, by the time we got to season three, we were essentially making a hundred million dollar feature every sort of what, 14 what days. we were doing, you know, <laughs> and that's, that's what the season was. And, and that's what it needed to be. Cause it was also a game of escalation, right? Every season had to have a little more, you had to push the envelope a little more. There was no, and, you know, obviously in the writer's room, they weren't, they weren't going to rest on the laurels of last season. And, and, and so that, 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 just, it just became different, but you know, it, it really does. There's, there's two things that happen. There's the show that gets on screen, which is what the audience gets. And then there's the show that we all live. And, and if you're living with producers who, who want to make it difficult because they feel that that's a management style, you know, you don't stay there. But that was, I found that never to be the case with, with 24. I ever. agree. I loved it. Well, with 24, it sounds like you guys had a lot of that bonding out of the gate, but did, it, did the teamwork evolve any over the eight seasons? For it's sure. It's about getting used to the different roles and such, but I'd be curious to hear more about that. Well, all, I mean, I can speak for all three of us. We all moved up in, in, in huh. this world. And I think a, a good part, a good the reason why we, we, gave, we, we became such good friends and became like a family was Kiefer Sutherland. I mean, he made a point that on Thursday nights, we're going to go to TJ Friday's have one drink with me and let's hang out. And so that started the, you know, we're, we're no, we're, we're no longer just like at rap, you run home. We, we actually hung out together on a social level, which was fun. Then you had John Casar who came in season two and we had him who would have these, you know, Friday night parties. You go to his house and hang out and just, just sit down and unwind for the week. Those moments there were fun. You know, those were the, I remember those parties the most, just having, hanging out and unwinding from the week. Even the week where you're shooting all, like when you're going home at three in the morning, 
or four in the morning or five. No, not as much as those. You know, early Fridays <laughs> more so than not. But um, I mean, we also oh, we we'd keep the bars open. <laughs> well, yeah, we well, we would also go to hotels and spend time in San yeah. and we would go down there and you know after work we you know we hang out in the back of the truck for half an hour and just socialize and it was never like get off the clock get out of here it was like i mean the first season of 24 our transport team lived on the lot so pretty much (laughs) they had like five gooseneck trailers out front next to the working trucks and those guys lived in these trailers you know bird and booger and all those guys they you know pretty much were the one of the best transport teams ever worked with before they they lived on the lot on the weekends they would do maintenance stuff and they got more productivity out of those guys because they were always on the lot they never left you know, the, another thing that, that was, I think, a, a unique thing to the show that helped create this, this sense of family was that it, it was a show that was produced in a warehouse kind of far away from the studio itself, right? From, you know, it was a Fox show. So, you know, all those guys down on Pico, it was kind of away from there. And it, and it, you weren't, you know, like I work on a show now that's that's on the lot at Warner Brothers, and you you walk on the lot, and you have the lot politics, and then you have the the, the executive politics, and you have <laughs> you see other shows, and so the idea that that yeah, maybe I don't really like this show I'm working on, but there's eight other shows here, and and maybe I'll maybe I'll find a way into one of those. We were on an island. Yeah, we're self-contained and, unit. And and it really created a sense of 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 unity because. You know, if, if I'm at Warner Brothers and I need something and, and it's grip related, there's a whole apparatus there. But if I'm, you know, half hour, 45 minutes away from most of the resources um, that, that, that are so abundant in Hollywood and, and I need something and I, ah, shit, I don't have it all. I need Sterling to help me out because he's got sort of the, the, the last 10% of what I need at his disposal. Right. I'm going to go to him or you know, construction was, was a key element and Phil Stone, who was our, our coordinator, like we had to rely on each other just simply because we were on average, I mean, depending on traffic, we were on average half an hour away from, from that like easy phone call. And so that creates, I think right from the beginning, more, more unity because you're, you're, you're crossing over with each other and you're, you're relying on each other. And so it seems like a minor thing that we were, out on this island, but but I I do think it it it, it gave us the environment <laughs> where we had to do these things together in a different way than you find like if you're working on a studio lot. Well, Nicole, I, I want to ask Nicole specifically. Nicole, did this extend to a quieter crew? Like, did they help out the assistant directors in the same way where they were quieter on set and you know would give you the lockups you need? Because uh, I think that's been a rare thing on set. And I'd like to see a team that really came together around. Well, that. I think the thing is when you work with Keith for Sutherland, there is no com- there is nobody talking. Um, it was one of the best things that made my job so much easier. Um, and like on my show now, I now say I'm doing private a Keith for Sutherland. No, I don't say private rehearsal. I say I'm doing a Keith for Sutherland rehearsal on my show because no one knows how to be quiet. So when I'm doing a Kiefer Sutherland rehearsal, that means everybody's outside waiting till I'm done. The actors have the set. Kiefer is amazing because, you know, he was, he was the team leader. He brought 120% every day, which made all of us give 120%. Um, I, ne- I rarely ever had to tell anybody to be quiet. Uh, the one day I'll never forget, um, 
uh, one of the camera assistants was talking and I told him to be quiet and he continued to talk. And then Kiefer got in his face and said, did you not hear her? She told you to stop talking. I don't think that guy spoke for the rest of the day, <laughs> but it was just, it was, it was a, it was, it was an etiquette thing. And, and I still live by that, by those private rehearsals, you know, uh, Sterling and I went to do Kiefer's other show touch. And I came in uh, like halfway through the first season and I went to a private rehearsal and kicked everybody off stage. And the PAs are like, wow, why didn't somebody do that before? I go, well, no one called and asked. I mean, normally now when Kiefer does a new show, I usually get a phone call of how to, how to deal with him. He's super easy to deal with. It's just, you know, bring your A game. Well, and there's a, there was a respect. And again, there's Kiefer and, and I go back to Cyrus and, 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 and even Joel and, and, and Robin. Kiefer, when it was his set, it was his set. But mm -hmm. when it was your set, it was your set. And they got the fuck off the set. Right. Now, you break rehearsal, <laughs> first team stands around, they want to talk, they want to chit-chat, they want to bullshit. And, and I, you know, AD's looking at me going, well, are we going to start lighting? I go, nope, I'm not going to start lighting. I'm not going to yeah. do anything until they yeah. get off set. So the respect was always mutual from, from the very beginning with the conversations with Robin, with Cyrus, with Kiefer. It was mutual. So, so when, run, res when respect is mutual, it's easy, you know. I'm, I'm still training my, my crew. It's like I have, you know, I'm on a firefighter show, so there's like eight, nine, ten people in every scene. As soon as we cut, I'm like, everybody, get the fuck off my set. I mean, they now know it. I, they just, uh, I can look at them with an, like a, almost like a Kiefer look. It's like, that was your time. Now it's lighting time. My DP will not do a thing until everybody is off of his set. As you, as you should, because, you know. Correct. But, there's equipment's you know. coming in, lights coming in. Yeah. You know. But it's yeah. the respect. And the respect. Yeah. That's the hard look, part. I mean, it, it, yeah, every, everybody talks about the crews being loud, but it's, it, look, it's, it's respect. You know, uh, if, 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 a, if a writer wants to tone a scene after the blocking, no, you can't. How are you going to respect that? It's so hard because, look, you had your time. You should have done that. You should have been prepared, right? So, you know, it, it, people, people don't have the respect anymore. It's the same, you know, I mean, my guys, my guys, my crew knows because, again, I come from, I learned with Burke and Sterling in a place where there was respect. It's like, guys, you know, it, it's not ours. Go away. And these days also the, the phone, right? The phone is just... The cell phone thing is, is insane. But at the very least, I tell them, look, you want to be on your phone? Fine. Go, go to the truck. Go away. You know? Because if yeah, we're here, totally if we're on set, the phone. Uh, it, it, it's crazy, right? I mean, it's it, 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 it just it, – what it does to this process, what it's doing to our minds is pretty scary. It's bad. You know? I think uh, social media and everything is sort of taking control of everything. So I remember just looking at our, our set last week. Everyone, if you look around, everyone's two feet away from each other, but on their phones and not yeah, talking. lit up. They're just, yeah. just, they're just yeah. gone. So, cool. I mean, it was, you know, I mean, I think, I think if you were to, to transport our experience 15 years into, you know, 20 years now into, into today, it, it would be different. I mean, it was, it was unique to the time. It was a lot of things that were unique about it. The group of people that came together and, and the way they wanted to do things. The way they wanted to treat people and be treated, you know, it, it was it was unique in that in that regard. You know, it wasn't just what was on the page. You know. 
Now, what was it like for the, you, you talked about 75% of the crew stayed through. Um, I don't know for sure on the actors, but there were actors that ran multiple seasons as well and so understood how things were running. What was it like for the new folks who would come in, either at the lower <laughs> levels because you guys had moved up or actors who had worked, used, had different experiences on Bring other shows? your A game. Bring it because Kiefer's going to come in and do four pages cold. Know your stuff. Um, same with the crew. You come in and you, you sort of watch and see how things are run. And then, you know, if there's a question, people would go, you might want to do this and you know, be, be constructive criticism. Um, I think if actors got out of hand, the unique part about 24 was if you became a little difficult, guess what? You might get hit by a bus tomorrow. <laughs> the writers, <laughs> the writers the were next four hour. feet away. <laughs> this guy's like, go tie my shoe. Watch the writer goes, oh my gosh, you got hit by a bus. <laughs> um you know, there was the only person that was probably safe was Kiefer. Everyone else, you, you know, to make the story move forward or to give it some drama, you, you, you got to bring your A game every day. And otherwise, they'll write you out. <clears throat> but if you look back, um, if you look back at all of the heads of departments, um, Anthony might be the only one that actually moved up to key grip. But the DP was the same. The operators were the same. The gaffer was yeah. the same. Mm -hmm. uh, Randy came in, right? Randy came in the second. Makeup, hair, wardrobe, every, everybody stayed the same. It was any, anybody that was coming in um, new after season two was not a head of a department. Right. Everybody was um, pretty much stayed. If you look yeah, at when if Click you look came at all the heads, in, he moved up. Right. So that's yeah. kind of the same. Right. Same. But anybody that everybody either moved up, but nobody came in at at a top position the whole and, entire right, time. Exactly. No, no department replacements kind of thing. It was Correct. All a department replacement might have come in with their own ideas about how their department runs and integrates with the other departments. You guys didn't suffer any of that over the course of the eight seasons. None whatsoever. It's the same no. folks working together. No, and even though I didn't, even though I moved up as a department head, my my position from the beginning. You know, our, our show also had a huge off-production footprint, right? Because we were dealing with, with, with the storyline and what it, what it dictated in terms of day or night and the pace with which we worked, we had to walk into sets that were, that were within a half an hour of shooting. We, we weren't a show that could come in and do a four-hour lighting setup or, or when we were trying to make – we did a lot of night, uh, day for night. So, so in the early years, my role – running running the grip department's part of that prep and strike um you know a lot of the show lived in that space and and again this was a show that you know prep prep was a big part of the show and, and how we were able to move in and out of spaces and again because of the cross-boarding so you know it, it it was a show that that needed people to communicate and needed needed people to be uh proactive and and it again it happened because there was an amount of respect and, and, you know, as uh, uh, Rodney Charters, who was our DP, who, you know, is a, in an in a enigmatic little figure that we've all, we all love to death. <laughs> Crazy Kiwi. Um, but he also, unlike a lot of DPs, he was not a micromanager. He wanted you to sort of bring your talents to bear and, and gave you the space to do it. Um, you know, and then obviously Michael Click was a, was a huge part of, of, of the entire process. Um, Michael Click, what was his role? Sorry. 
Who's Michael he, Cook? Was his he role? started as a as a first AD and ended okay. up as a line producer, right? <laughs> he yeah. went he went yeah. sort of through through the whole thing, um, but was also someone. I mean, uh, probably one of the smartest people I've ever worked with. Just knew how to how to bring people in and and get and get the best out of them. You know, yeah, which, he which also which which I take with me all the time when I hear people bickering about minutia. We're here to put it on the screen and the money is supposed to go on the screen. Michael okay. would always say, would always say that. So, I mean, I think I can talk for the three of us is we've taken our whole experience on 24 um, to all of our shows. And I, I know for me, I've left quite a few shows because I was spoiled on 24 with um, just the A game, you know, we, everybody brought their A game, you know, and, uh, we were like, we were like the Super Bowl champs for eight years, yeah. and then you I go to the other, case. you go to the other shows, and you know, a lot of whining, a lot of this, a lot of that. Why do we have to do this? Why do? We, well, you know what? You got in the wrong business. You know. I look at the our, our. I mean, you could probably look at the shows you're working on now. I look at scenes that we shot on Twenty Four that were like pretty, you know, really big, stunt-heavy, action-heavy scenes. We do them like four or five hours. We're taking full days now to do these things. We're like, I go on twenty four. This this would have been shot already, right? I see that the pace of the shows is is gotten really slow. There's a sort of a lot of this wandering around as opposed to like, let's go, let's get this thing done and go home. I want to have dinner tonight with my family. Right. You know. I, I also think that's that's Kiefer. I mean, we haven't really worked with him. I mean, we did touch, but I don't count that as working with him. Of what it would be like if we were to come together with him. Because he, there was no messing around, you know, there's, like I work on, with an ensemble cast that's fantastic right now, but when you work with an ensemble, there's not one voice. When Kiefer, like you said, anybody could be killed off if you weren't Kiefer Sutherland. And, you know, it, it's not like that anymore. I don't know if there's any, all these other shows are ensemble cast. Well, speaking of the cast on, on 24, you guys have talked about um, Kiefer setting the tone on set. Were there any other actors that over the course of either one major season or several seasons also made an indelible impression either on the crew or on the direction of the show? Well, yeah. I mean, uh, Dennis Haysbert loved him. Um, Michael <laughs> Keith, Mary Lynn. Yeah. Yeah. Mary Lynn was, was probably what I, I would say probably second to key for in terms of absolute presence. Right. I mean, for she sure. was, she was there for a while, you know, uh, I mean, I guess, Cuthbert, but I don't know. She didn't. She didn't. She was a kid too, so we all, she didn't yeah. have the, you know, the the, the impact. But um, it, yeah. it really it, it had a singularity. I mean, it's tough. I mean, there were even those conversations where we talk about the ratings, and and it, it's like if Keeper was in sixty eight percent of the scenes in the first half hour, that the number of viewers that stayed for the second half hour was higher, and if it dipped below fifty percent, they lost viewers in the second half hour. I mean, it was. You know, it, it, it was so on Calculated. that character and <laughs> and and what what he brought to it because he really did. You know, he represented. You know, you hate to say things like he was the perfect character, or the perfect actor, but but the, the the vulnerabilities that the character had, and the way he played it, and the way he made his decisions, and the way Kiefer gave life to those decisions. People watched and went, "I'm not that guy." Sometimes I wish I were that guy. That guy does shit that I wish I could do, right? I mean, it had all those elements. So 
Uh, and it was one of those shows that didn't really become a soap opera. Every other show becomes a total soap opera, right? So, so who's kissing who, who, who's mad at who? It wasn't that. It was what's the threat? It was pragmatic. I mean, it, and so it, it, it gave, it did, it gave the audience something different. And, and he did, you know. I mean, for a guy who's not the biggest guy, was never, you know, he's not, he's not, he's not muscle bound or any of those things. Motherfucker was tough. Yeah, yeah. They don't, they don't make him. I mean, he, he made, he made. I, I feel like he made the experience of Twenty Four what it is. Uh, you know, it's weird to, to be almost twenty years later, and. I always go of all the shows I've done in the last 10 years, I still always go back to 24. And when I run into crew um, on my show, like I have a couple people on my show now that are, are crew um, and we took a picture and John Kassar was on the lot came by. And, and unless you were on it, you have no idea what, what it was like. And people are like, how did you do that? It was, it was when, when you say it was one in a million, it was one in a million to be able to be part of such a, uh, a groundbreaking, amazing show. I mean, I learned everything I could have learned. I mean, everyone always goes, how do you do action so well? Um, it was called 24. I didn't just, you, you do it. You do it by learning it. You just don't all of a sudden go, oh, I'm great at action. No, we did every every action sequence you could possibly imagine for and a TV so. show. <laughs> and, we, and we learned it. You know, I mean, look, yeah. it, 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 we, anybody would, would be sort of dishonest if we said, look, from day one, it was... It was perfect. And, yeah, and growing it, pains. It, it, we had learned. growing pains. I mean, yeah. I remember those first couple episodes, you know, were, were huge and, you know, the, the hours were long. But, but was, what was true right from the beginning was you were told, at least I was, and, and, and I think the experience was similar, was, look, you're here to do a job. You're not here to be told how to do the job. Bring it bring your a game because we want it. And, and that was, I think, right from the beginning. And, and again, I think it was, you know, um, keeper, but also, also, you know, I mean, Cyrus, he'd ask some of the strangest questions in, in meetings and they make you laugh, but, but then he would, you know, he would back it up with, with, with making sure that, that, that it was handled and, and people were doing their jobs. And, and again, because everybody was given a voice, um, you know, when you do action, people get scared because, because they're scared of the responsibility. But if you're told, bring, bring the responsibility and be part of it, it's much less scary. And you realize that, that the scenes, an action scene and a scene at, at you know, a, a dining room table are essentially the same. You have, to, you, have to, you have to film the elements so that you can make the scene. And so you know, we, we were given that. Plus we, you know, I mean, we had great effects. We had a great effects team too. Um, that, that, that brought everybody and they weren't, they weren't cowboys and they didn't try to make it something that, that they wanted everybody to understand what was going on. So I think there was a uniqueness to, to the department heads that, that people, people weren't afraid to include everybody. And that's, that's a big difference. I think one department that changed though quite a bit, not thinking back what Nicole said was stunts. Think about it. <laughs> yeah. Dono, Maddie. I mean, that kind of sort of, that kept changing. It was you the Emmy curse. People would come and, sorry, guys, you mean people would come and go as far as the stunt department? Every season, concerned? right? 
Yeah, until Jeff came in season five. And then, yeah. Yeah, and then yeah. Caliente stayed from five to the end, but until then yeah. it was, you know, we kind but of. But effects wise, it was the Blackwells. And, Blackwells, you know, yes. You know. Stanley's got, yeah. The cool thing about the Blackwells, though, for effects is that they asked questions and, and they brought everybody together and we would have meetings and we would see the process. Yeah. <clears throat> and now we don't. Well, they don't anticipate yeah. I mean, I, like they used to. Right. I'm, doing, I'm doing big stuff on my show and, uh, it's it's not it's not a camaraderie of everyone wanting to play. It's like we're all on the same team, so let's play together in the sandbox. Well, and and we from the beginning, it's just I think it's it it's a um, they don't make it like that. And we got I call it luck. You know, there was a lot of luck and some skill, and um, they just don't make it like that anymore. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm curious as a follow-up for all of you guys working on shows today, the difference between or where the balance is between um, practical and visual effects with these high action sequences. I know a lot more now visual effects are coming in and doing stuff that before 10, particularly 20 years ago, we were doing more practical terms. Are you guys seeing a transition of that? Is Absolutely. that part of it or... Is it really just the cruise? Like, there's two sides to this. If you look at the gunfire on, on 24, we had full loads, automatic machine gun fire with uh, cars exploding with, with cannons and big flames and blowing things up, and which is a, a safety element that we all kind of took, all of us together took upon ourselves, Anthony, Nicole, myself, stunts, effects. We all sort of got together and said, how can we make this really big, really safe, and kick some ass? Nowadays, what we no one fires full loads anymore it's either solid plug or quarter load and then if there's ever a question of um what should we do i will we'll put it in post so the best fire is now <laughs> this this crazy weird like triangle flash that i can tell on camera like oh my gosh that looks terrible it takes away from the i think as a as an armor it takes the axe away from the actor because they're having to like fake this whole gunfire and half of them who don't know how to shoot a gun it looks really wrong it looks forced and i think if you have an explosion that's this fake fire and the actor has to react to an explosion and it's just a, a lighting effect and they go oh blow up versus an actual cannon going off in a car exploding your reactions are different so this last week we're up in big bear shooting and uh the actress didn't want to be around a real gun so we brought an airsoft gun and i'm like okay this is like cops and robbers and the prop guy goes I bet you Kiefer never had an airsoft gun. And I said, Kiefer only shot full loads. Yeah. And it, it was just like, it's an, I mean, we, we actually did real squibs, which was pretty remarkable. Um, but it feels like the safety aspect of what's going on. I mean, we did such great stuff on 24. And I felt like it was always safe. There was maybe one or two times when we did helicopter work where I was like, whoa, that was kind of close. But the pilot, you always trusted the pilots. I mean, the, the Timboros or whoever it was, you just, yep. you know, there was a trust. Correct. Um, and there's not, you know. like, right now we're getting ready to do some uh, plane work on my show. And I was like, we're going to use John Timboro. Like, that's the bottom line. Or I'm not going to show up. I, I trust this guy. I'm not going to yeah. go with some newbie. So <clears throat> I think there was a lot of, we had a lot of trust in one another. And we always had each other's back. And, and looking back, I think the only like real accident I saw in 24 was, you know, Mr. Heron not paying attention and falling through a, a floor. Yeah, that was, yeah. There wasn't an, there wasn't an accident. There wasn't an on camera accident. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. nobody got hurt. Yeah. Well, and the, 
and the 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 cougar <laughs> cougar is one of the items that people talk about even now on 24 uh, what, what happened cougar. to this cougar so what happened was uh, alicia cuthbert was gonna meet a cougar in the scene um you, you've heard this the the saying jump the shark well we jumped the shark all right so our our stunt coordinator at the time was Greg Barnett, and they went to go introduce the cougar to uh, Alicia. Well, no one told, she had just finished eating Cheetos. So, <laughs> so the, cougar, the cougar started licking her hand, and she got scared, so she moved her hand, and as she moved her hand, the cougar got scared and bit her. And she had never seen her own blood before, so she basically passed out. So nonetheless that was a wrap on the day it was <laughs> yeah, just was one of those day. things where you're just like okay why did we have to why did we have to introduce the cougar to her they weren't even in the same frame <laughs> while so, she having doritos okay yeah. so right so my thing now is i just worked with a tiger on my show and they wanted to incorporate the actor and i go what for <laughs> you don't need to incorporate don't that kind it. of an animal with an actor just they don't need edit to meet it together they don't need to meet exactly <laughs> Well, I'm curious, you also talked earlier about sort of learning on the show and developing, having all that time with the same team. What are some other scenes or memories where things were challenging? Maybe they didn't go exactly the way you expected, where you guys did learn a lesson, if you will, as far as the challenges on 24? Um, I would say uh, we started season five, the opening of season five, which to me was my, my favorite season and my favorite, maybe my favorite episode, but I don't know if you guys remember, we were um, downtown and um, they were trying to kill all the, the lead actors as part of the story. And the guy comes running, he's running, um, and all of a sudden he's out of frame. And John Cassar goes, where the hell did the actor go? Well, he's on the ground. He had tore his Achilles as we were shooting and he was the whole day's worth of work. So oh. John, I'll never forget, John pointed at this, this John pointed at this new kid who nobody ever met. He was like the loader, camera loader. He pointed at him and he says, you, over there, come here. Yeah, he goes, come here. And well, John Sharp, the first AC goes, you can't have my guy. And he goes, if I want to continue shooting today, I'm going to have that guy. And so they sent him to, um, to hair and he shaved his head. He got dressed and he did all of the running for the actor for the rest of the day. And we shot him like neck down. And then the actor stood on one foot and did all of his dialogue. <laughs> I remember that. Darren. Eric. That was the. Yeah. He called, we called him Running Eric. And he got a SAG card. And when we aired the episode, because it was our first episode, we always aired the first episode for the crew. Like everyone just applauded. It was, we wouldn't have been able to get through the day, let alone, you know, the episode. I think for me, it was Ontario Airport. You remember Ontario Airport with all the, the uh, terrorists and bomb vests? Yes. And then President Bush flying Air Force One into yeah. that airport. Secret Service going, who's in charge of the guns? I walk yeah. over. The guy's like, if one of your guys walks outside this terminal, my guy's going <laughs> to drop to a knee and shoot him. Like, <laughs> <laughs> and he goes, yeah, it was a brilliant stroke of scheduling. No. Let's, let's no. go there that week. <laughs> yeah, I've got 15 background with bomb vests and AK-47s. And then Secret Service is like, your guy walks outside to get a cigarette. He's going to die. <laughs> All right, guys. Background. Very important. Very important. Do not leave the terminal. I don't care if you have to use the restroom. You deprop. And everybody's really good about that. But that was one of the moments where it was very stressful because I had a secret service liaison following me all around all day. 
and you're just waiting for some crazy background guy to go, but my girlfriend called and you walk outside and damn, he's dead. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think for me, uh, sort of the, the pinnacle of the show, maybe, maybe not our best season, but the, the finale of season six, which was a pretty big sequence of, of this oil rig and Jack meeting one. his father in the oil rig and, and it blowing up. But, but the, the finish of the season for me was about 60 straight days because we, we built this sequence in five different locations between a practical oil rig, an enormous set at, at a studio down in Downey with Downey. a water tank. Which and, is not there anymore. We, which is no. not there. And when we, went to, we went to a yes. refinery and we did elements at a refinery. We went to like five different places. You watch the scene, it's seamless. I mean, if, if you're really, if you know exactly what it was, which, which the three of us do, you can go, yeah, I know where that was and that was, and they weren't right next to each other. But to the audience, you know, creating a, 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 a seamless sequence like that, but how much work went into it. And, and it was the an intense process, <laughs> lack of sleep. But, but really, you know, asking myself, the entire time like this is a tv show this doesn't right. this, this isn't what tv shows do you know yeah um, and when then we did the real rig yeah yeah, yeah. i remember I mean, getting the boat out there and the helicopter coming and the, the gunfire on that thing i remember doing all that hiding under a tarp reloading yeah. mags or, or watching crew members swing onto the platform who really we almost lost one of them there. yeah <laughs> lost, almost lost one. i'll never forget that night going this is pretty cool i'm on a yeah. well deck in the middle of the, yeah. uh, of the pacific it's kind of fun yeah, it was, it was amazing. And you got to do things like that. And, and again, when you do things over time and people, the trust builds and, and the familiarity builds. For me, uh, and, and I think for, for you know, the, the rest of us, you got to be in meetings you wouldn't have otherwise been in. You got to be in right. places you wouldn't have otherwise been in. Just because, again, because the leadership said, well, no, everybody come in and get in on this conversation because it's going to help us all. And so you the department heads for sure and, and and most people more so than any other show really understood from beginning to end what the process was and also because of the physicality of the writer's room and editorial and everything being in the same place it's like yeah come in the writer's room and, and look at the sequence they're building and let's talk about how we're not going to get totally screwed by the sequence because they're not going to want to write it out and i'm not going to get the money to make it the way they want to make it so let's let's get in early and the conversations were always alive and moving. And, and, and it wasn't, you know, I've worked on shows where, where information becomes a commodity, right? And, and producers are afraid of giving information because they right. think it's going to get ahead of them, right? They think, they think if I give this information and it's not 100% that, that somehow it's going to come back on me. Right. Which is true of, of if you're dealing with department heads who, who, who feel that, that, that they have to prove something. None of us had to prove anything. We just had to do our job. So if right. information came down and you reacted to it and the next day it changed, went, okay. I mean, Burke and I used to sort of see each other every morning and go, it wasn't what's changed. We changed it to, Hey, what hasn't changed? Right. I was like, right. you know, cause it was constant change. But if, if you had the information and you knew what, and again, going back to click, put it on the screen, it's about telling a story, right? It's not about, my budget or this amount of manpower or this amount of this or that. It's about making the show. It's about telling the story. And people came to the show as storytellers, whether you were a grip, a camera operator, uh, makeup, sterling and props. We're all storytellers, which is the point, right? A lot of, a lot of people 
in this business are just, it's just the business, right? And they're not really interested in telling you a story. 24 was different. It was a group of storytellers and, and we were given a voice and, and that made something totally different. You know, I think time and again. To Anthony's point earlier, having all everything in one spot kept, kept the machine moving versus on the, I'm working at Warner Brothers. You have writers a half a mile away. All the departments are so far away. So information doesn't happen doesn't happen like it should. I know from Nicole being a first AD, if something came up in one of her meetings, she would immediately call, text Randy and say, you might want to look into 50 background, not 20. Like information just flows. Nowadays, people expect you to get the information. They don't care how you got it. And everybody has like secrets. I feel like people don't talk about, you know, if someone comes up in like a stunt meeting saying, you know, there's gonna be a big old trapeze rig. They don't tell Anthony that they need to get a trapeze rig started. You just have to find out on your own by someone saying, oh, do you have the trapeze? And you're like, what do you mean? What trapeze, what are you talking about? You know, it's the communication I think is not as free flowing as it, as it used to be, as far as, our, as far as us on set. You guys agree? No, I would agree. I'd agree that the transparency was huge. I mean, one thing that producers are, are so tight about, right, is selling you, you know, budgetary things. On 24, you'd walk in and, and, and Click would say, look, I got this amount of money to do this. And he'd tell you what the money was. And then, <laughs> but, but then it was real information, right? It was, it, it, okay. It mattered. <laughs> yeah. And, and it wasn't guesswork and it wasn't, it, you just knew. And, and so you, you know, it, it was a lot more like, like a household, like, all right, I, I got to fix the roof, but I can't fix the roof with 50 grand because I don't have it. I got 15, right? And so- right. It wasn't. It wasn't guesswork. You weren't looking for. You weren't looking for the boundaries or anything because because it was it was given to you, and it was given to you in actionable information. You know, and, and I and I and I really credit that. You know, it's it's confidence. You, you credit the confidence of the people in the leadership roles to to not not be afraid to tell you. So many people think that leadership is is dissemination of information and how you do it, where it's not. It's like I'm going to give you the information and then we're going to talk and I'm going to tell you what I think is right or wrong about what you're bringing back to me, it, it, you know, and it, it, it becomes, it becomes conversational, it becomes participatory where today it's in a lot of ways and a lot of producers, especially the younger ones who, who, who look at line writers. items, right. They, they, they're, again, they're not even storytellers. They're just looking at line items. You know, it was not that way on 24 ever. Yeah. You know, it was, it was information flow. Yeah. See, I still get out the same amount of information but what they do with it is completely different. It's like, if I were to call Sterling and say, I need, I need two bottles of wine, I need a red wine and a white wine, you don't have a script. Here's, this is what I need, this is the scene, this works tomorrow, because I work on a show where we don't get scripts. The hesitation where if I told Sterling 10 years ago, he would already go out, have bought them, have had them labeled and ready to go. But now everyone's so afraid to spend any money or to make a mistake, that nothing gets done anymore. True, we've hindered ourselves in a way, but um, 24 being its unique world, I mean, we could also anticipate stuff. Like I, I would go, I'm gonna need this and, and, and I need these background to have this. I'll text Nicole, can we have the background, bring their own backpacks. Anthony, I'm gonna need some help getting here. And it, it, would, it would just sort of, we understood what we needed and what we anticipate what we didn't need to get ahead of the game. 
that anticipation has gotten stifled because of, like Anthony said before, um, people producing through fear as opposed to producing through, I hired you to do a job, do the job, and then we'll go from there. You know, you guys are depressing me a little bit. You guys, you don't know you can get out of the industry. <laughs> Wait, what? That's the end game. That's how <laughs> what? you worry about that one. I got, I got eight more years. Look, it's still, it's still the most, you know, I still pinch myself every day being, being on set. And, you know, you, you, we, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm partially a carny, which is, you know, nice a lot of what I do, but, <laughs> but, you know, we're, we're telling stories, right? I mean, Think about what we do, and, and it's a good business to be in, and, and we certainly, you know, we, we've, we've been afforded amazing opportunities. Um, and so even, I think the challenge is, you know, there's been, because film business is essentially like a cottage industry, right? It's not, we're, we, we make a product, but it's not like, we, you know, we're not like the car industry. So it's a, it's a cottage industry. So it's, I think we think of it as being more unique than it is, but it's, it's, the challenge is the same challenges that, that all things that, that, that society faces, the, the cell phone or, or the lack of personal responsibility. But at the end of the day, I'm making a television show, right? And, and yeah, I'm, I'm giving people uh, through this group effort something so they don't have to deal with their lives because they want to enjoy it, which is cool. But, but what a great thing to be doing, telling stories, making yeah. shows. I think I also with toys for a living. If you look at what I do, I play with toys. I love toys. I'm a gadget guy. <laughs> and I'm a, I'm a high-paid babysitter. I think the, <laughs> there you go. One of, the, one of the great things, though, about 24, I mean, I'm on a show now that's getting critical acclaim, but there's nothing better than, than getting rewarded for all your hard work when, when people watch your show. And, and we were the first show to go straight to DVD um, for a, a, a TV series. Um, 24 was also the last network show to win uh, an Emmy for best show. Um, and that was like 12 years ago. It's just, it's great when you can work on something that people actually watch and love. And for a, for a brief moment, people thought Jack Bauer was real. I mean, they were teaching a, a course in Washington, yeah. DC about counterterrorism. And um, oh, so that's the character has been was, referenced. You know, yeah. Referenced on the floor Congress. of Congress. Yeah. yeah you know, I mean, exactly. there is, there is some, it's amazingly cool about that. Not everybody gets that opportunity in their career. I mean, right. people, people get to do cool shows and, and do things, but. I think the pop culture yeah. that we, we're part of now is yeah. I mean, solidified. As yeah. I mean, I have a, I can't, we're not doing video, but I have a, a Jack Bauer doll in my house. You yeah, know? I got one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. you guys, let's talk a, a moment. Let's not move on completely without sort of addressing the fact that there was, talking about sort of pop culture and political culture at the time, there was some controversy around portrayal of Muslims and the use of torture. It's, people can look that up. There's a lot of discussion about it, a lot written on both sides. Did that ever affect things on set? Like, how did that come back to you guys in a way? What well, was would, the impression of that? I would say we were an equal opportunity. We, we, we killed everybody. It didn't matter. <laughs> Every season, it was the Chinese, the Russians, the mother. It didn't matter. We we were equal opportunity terrorist getters. Um, <laughs> at some point, we you know, at the storyline, you think you know, it would be a different. It would be different telling that same story today, being as how everything's so sensitive. We were at the forefront of this before the sensitivity got to where it is now. This boiling point that you could you could say things and do things and, and kind of got away with it. The only thing we ever got in trouble for was killing a dog on set with the shotgun. That we had more people get on us about that 
than taking a dude's head off with a hacksaw. Um, I yeah, because yeah. we remember. I, I think it was in season two where uh, we shot somebody. Um, it was a, it was actually a great uh, exit wound on stage, and uh, it was an effect, and and they actually aired it. Nowadays, they don't. Everyone's so sensitive. You can't air anything. It's taken. It's almost kind of taken the fun out of the job. It's like, come on. Let, I mean, we're doing cool stuff, and they won't let us air it. It's like, then don't write it. It's changed but, definitely a bit. It's definitely changed as far as what you can say and do, and people don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. So it, that thing, that sort of changed because back then we sort of we would make it, shoot it, and then see what they would come back to us and say, ah, you, you, you might want to take four seconds off that scene, make it three seconds so it's not as violent. Nowadays, they don't even want to approach it. Even on set, they're like, well, let's just not do that because they're not going to air it anyway. Yeah. So I think the times have changed a bit as far as what what the what the writers and directors envision and then actually what we actually show you know it's it's definitely you know your show nicole you you can get away with a lot more because your show is about trauma and things so you kind of want to see the trauma right. you know ours is more about i mean 24 is more about you know the counter terrorists the violence and that kind of stuff with explosions and sort of we got away with it because no one was doing it at the time right but you know i think even you know going sort of talking about the, the portrayal of, of certain ethnicities or, or religious backgrounds or whatever. I think there was also a, a, amongst us on the crew in the space, again, because of the proximity, which, which was big, you know, you, you knew we, there was a trust in Joel and Bob that they weren't looking for cheap answers or thrills thematically or narratively that, that, that they were, they were using these devices, but not in a cheap way. I think we all had a very inherent trust that Keeper and his betrayal of his, of his character was, was going to be true for him as an actor. And so, and so you trust that. And so you're not sitting there on set going, wow, like that's just offensive and has no value. Right. Right. It, 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 it had value. Um, well, they asked and, and, and was questions. treated. Yeah. And it was treated with respect. Um, and so, and we all knew we were making an action show, but in terms of, in terms of that, I never, I never felt that, that I had to compromise what I think, right. In, in, in the name of, of making what, what we were making. And I think that's, that's important is that, you know, it's such a touchy space and now sort of more than ever, ever, but, but you have to sort of look at, at, at what's what's being done and how it's being done and and, and why and and, and I, I really think that that from a creative standpoint um you know there was there was an honesty there was also like keeper was a hugely jack bauer was was had huge fallibilities right i mean he he was not a perfect man so i don't think there was ever i don't think it was ever about this guy's perfect and and these people are not right you, you had to make choices as a viewer and they made choices as uh, creative choices as to you know, everybody's got some dark side. Everybody's got to make some choices, you know, and, and even the character didn't always make the right choice. And so I think that allowed for there to be um, a respectability to what, to, to the stories we were telling, you know, and I for think sure. that, that what's happened now is that, that people, the, the space for discussion about it is, is so, has been so reduced that, that you don't even really get, get to have those conversations. Well, so the we prism were, now we're, you can look through now has gotten a lot smaller. You, you minuscule. Yeah, you just sort of have to touch on the exact subject you want to touch on and get out quick before someone has a chance to come <laughs> yeah, back. Yeah, right. So yeah, snap the ball before they review Go. the play. 
Yeah. It's a good one. But uh, no, and I, and I really think that that's true. And I, and I think that, that that is also part of what happened because of the connection between the creative process and Joel and Bob being right there all the way through producerially down to those of us who are, who are showing up on, on the factory floors or where every day and, and making it, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I think we all, again, you know, keep her, keep her more, more than a few times to, you know, that, that doesn't work for me uh, as a character. I mean, he would do it rarely, rarely did that happen when, when cameras were set up, but, but people were participating and, and, and people were, were, were mindful of that. And I think that that's, you know, shouldn't be, shouldn't be lost. I know a lot of people don't get that because it's, it's unique to being in the moment, but there was a lot of respect for, for what we were doing narratively. Agreed. Favorite memories. Having kind of revisited the show for a little bit here. It's been some years, um, scenes, people, events, teams, whatever. What, what comes to mind guys? Some of the, I got to shoot on a nuclear submarine. I got to hug the, the reactor. <laughs> I mean, there's moments on the show that that 24 is afforded. The doors, I would say, opened up for all of us. I mean, we shot in D.C., New York, San Diego. I mean, it was as a in my a guy in his 20s. They put you on a nuclear sub for a week. I gotta tell you, I was running around. I have a picture of me sleeping on a Trident missile. I'm like, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> This before or after you had your kids, Sterling. <laughs> I would say uh, mine was uh, the F-18s, working with real F-18s, working with the military. We had the head people from uh, Washington, D.C. come out. NORAD. We had the head, we had the head lady from uh, Camp Pendleton. We shut down the airspace at LAX. Um, and we blew up a helicopter twice while the F-18s went into holding. I mean, it was, that was by far my favorite day of my whole entire career. Um, and then, um, sorry, Anthony, you didn't come with us, but Sterling and I and, uh, seven other crew, including Kiefer, Kiefer took us, uh, heliskiing for his 40th birthday for a week up in Canada. And <laughs> that was, I learned to ski. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I've been, I've been skiing now for 35 years. So back then it was 28. It was the best. We're going to do it again this year for my 50th. So it was start deep. saving. It was deep. <laughs> yeah. The, the, I mean that the, the, the camaraderie, you know, it's tough to pick out a single moment when you've had so many, I mean, I, I would say one of the things that was super unique to, to my experience and Nicole kind of touched on it was working with, with the military you know, it, it, it's it, in our daily lives, it's such a politicized thing. And when you really get to see a little bit behind the curtain without actually having to join the military, but to work with those guys from top to bottom, whether it was the 18 year old kids, uh, you know, in the submarine or, or, or the guys who would show up to do the, the fast roping out of the helicopters, it, you just, you, you got to spend time with, with people and, and, and see them as people, not just part of this, this apparatus that you hear about on the news or, or, or experience in other ways. And, and that was, that was something that, that for me, um, really sort of informed and, and, and changed and, and, and made me sort of grow that you just don't get, you're just not going to get that. And, and those guys were, I found them always to be amazing in their professionalism and in, in their attitudes. And so that was, that was special to me. You know, I, I agree. Cause I we on, on 24, on 24 from the beginning, uh, when we, I, I know from season one, when we did, we were doing all the raids and stuff, we always used real SWAT guys. And um, Kiefer would always go, 
wow, these guys are really good. Well, yeah, they're real. <laughs> and you would go, oh, well, then okay. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, one of the one of the funniest days um, ever, which wasn't really funny at the time, but it's funny now, and I take it with me on every show I go to, was we had a gurney. <clears throat> we yeah, didn't want a work. gurney. <laughs> and if you're not, if you're not, if you're not a real paramedic, especially now today, the gurneys are very heavy and they're tricky and you have to click them and, and, you know, push them into a, uh, ambulance. So this one night gurney does not want to work. I've got Brad two guys that have no idea how to use this gurney. <laughs> so Kiefer goes, Nicole, I'm going to go sit over here, play some chess. When you figure out how to use that gurney, let me know. So we're like, who can we dress? We'll dress the medic. Sterling knows how to use a gurney. We, we, we spent like an hour. So the director comes to me and says, we need to shoot. And I said, well, you should go talk to Kiefer because we don't know how to get the gurney to work. And he walks over to Kiefer and he comes back. He goes, shit, we're not working. And it literally took us an hour to get two people dressed to work this gurney. So from that moment on, I always have real paramedics on whatever show I do. Because you know what? The gurney doesn't work. And <laughs> Don't lie on your, um, your resume that you can play a paramedic is what it boils down to. <laughs> <laughs> Playing one, uh, being one are two different things. Yeah. Ain't um, that was part of it. I've, I've played a paramedic before, but you know you use the gurney? No, then you can't. You should probably just wipe that out of your uh, resume. The, the gurney never works. No, that was a classic. That was a classic night. That was a classic night. It's funny listening to all these stories, though, because it is like a like a yearbook now. Going back, all the fond memories I have of twenty four and experiences we did together, I think they're great. I mean, I love. I mean, just thinking about yeah, the F 18s flying down the L A River, and then you've got, you know, oil derricks at the uh, you know out in Santa Barbara, and then the one we shot down in um, you know the studio, Santa Fe Springs, down Santa Fe Springs. studio, yeah. All that stuff. I mean, I look at it and I, I have this nice little grin. I, I miss those days. I enjoy those days. And I appreciate those days. What they taught me for what we did and how we did it. You forget about the bad of like the not sleep and the tired and fatigue, which is normal for any job. Yeah. You, you only remember the good. And that's the great thing about 24 is that you look back at it. And if you were to put all those seasons together and, and put the amount of work that you put into it and heartache and just the, the amount of energy, you don't, you don't worry about that and you go, ah, I love it. It's the best. I tell you what, yeah. though, I couldn't do it now. <clears throat> now that I'm, I'm, you know, 15 years older, I, I wouldn't want to do you it. You could it do was, it. It was Just the perfect. Do You're doing it now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> sort of am, but not as you're in, Bur you're in Big Bear two days ago, and now you're in the desert. After. I mean, come on, you're doing it now. You're fine. <laughs> Well, with these, when they talk, they're always talking about bringing 24 back. And I know none of you were involved in the uh, sort of the spinoff seasons or the, the fall on work that they did either because of location or, or, or timing. But what would it take, you think, to, to, to bring a show like this back together? Kiefer and Shooting Town. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, but why? I mean. Yeah, the, yeah that's the question is why. Why, why do it? It's like, like just yeah. like leave it as it was. It was like, can't we come up with anything new? No, it, was, we can't. It, it ran its course. It was one of the best shows. Uh, We're going to do a remake of Die Hard. Leave it alone. <laughs> well, and on that note, uh, we'll leave this podcast as it is. Why? Why try to make it any better? We'll, we'll let it stand as it is. Guys, this has been a lot of fun talking about this show. Thank you. Well, thank fun. you for the opportunity. It's always fun. Yeah. You know. Time, guys. Yeah. Take care. And uh, oh, yeah, and have fun on all your not as good shows. <laughs> 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 yeah, right. Right. This podcast, but I will say it just shows you how much we all appreciate and love 24 you could you could probably ask any one of the crew and cast members who worked on 24 
it probably holds a special place in their heart and it holds one in their mind as well. Yeah, absolutely. I would echo that. That was interesting. If you also enjoyed the episode, please take a moment, leave us five stars and a comment on iTunes. Fan of the show? Check out our Facebook page at Podcast Below the Line. For Twitter and Instagram, you can find us at Pod Below the Line. And if you've got feedback, send email to skid, S-K-I-D, at belowtheline1word.biz. That's B-I-Z. Thanks to Curtis Five for our music, and thanks to John Juan for our logo fan of the logo we've got merch you can get the logo inscribed on t-shirts mugs and stickers just go to redbubble.com and search for below the line next episode is about the majestic starring jim carrey and directed by frank Darabont, and a film on which i work as an additional second ad it'll be fun catching up with some of my crewmates and i hope you'll join us again in two weeks